I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. And this is Marcel Malikibu. Hey. Marcel is, if you know the name Marcel Malikibu, that means you're a real fan. You're the kind of fan who listens to the credits. Marcel Malikibu is our assistant producer. That's right. Marcel is an African-American man in his mid-20s. He's pretty tall. Yeah, that's arguable. Okay, well, I'm arguing for it. You're tall. Uh, Marcel's dad is from Africa. West side. Marcel's mom is from Minneapolis. North side. So Marcel is our producer, but today he's a co-host. He's in the studio. Hans is in his regular spot, but now we have Marcel here talking to me. For the last two weeks, we have been doing stories from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Our team, all of us, all four of us, Went there six weeks after the mass shooting at the Tree of Life synagogue that killed 11 people. And during our time there, we talked to people who were not at the shooting, people who were not at the center of the story of the shooting. So this is the third of three episodes, and we've talked a lot in the previous two episodes about those concentric circles of grief that sort of ripple out from the center of event. And we've talked to people from those outer circles, people who weren't at the shooting, who weren't at the center of the story of the shooting. And the thing about being in that space is that you realize pretty quickly that, well, most of us are on one of those outer rings of the circle most of the time. And a lot of the experience in those outer circles, witnessing a tragedy being adjacent to it, is like a feeling of a lack of power. Yeah. Like you feel like you can't change stuff. Like you can't affect things around you. Like you can't bring that balance back to the world. But even when we're like watching from a distance and we feel like we can't do anything, we still feel like we want to help. I mean, if you have any kind of sympathy or empathy, you're going to feel like, what do I do now? when we feel like we're not in a position to do anything. One of the things that everybody does or most people do is, especially when you're on those way far outer rings, is you engage online however you can. And usually there is a there's a tragedy hashtag. That's a that's a pretty normal thing now. And for Pittsburgh, it was stronger than hate. And those are words that we saw all over Pittsburgh. And words that seem to be meant to empower people or make people feel like they had power. Yeah, because the shooter has and has shown his power. The guns showed their power. Hate showed its power. But is Pittsburgh stronger than hate? Are we stronger than hate? So that's this episode. Stronger than hate, question mark? We hear from all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds. And do these words change anything? Do they matter? And who do they matter to? The thing I loved about the archives before this happened was that nothing had happened here. And because of that, it gave us permission to fully dive into the average person 
and the average experience and really elevate it and celebrate it and spend a lot of time and energy on it. And I did feel that that was part of the story, the big story of the Jewish people that begins when the Jews leave Egypt 3,000 years ago and continues to today. And I liked the feeling that the story we were telling was holding up our corner of the story so that it didn't touch the ground. So I'm sitting in the Rodef Shalom Synagogue with a man named Eric Lidgey. Eric's job is an archivist. He documents everyday life of the Jewish experience in Western Pennsylvania. I want it to be this kind of constant presence, constant tool, and really a way of seeing communal life. The best way to say it is that it's like a way of seeing the world. You can have the same conversation and just one has the weight of history behind it and another doesn't. I want people to have that experience that I feel where everything is so rich. I mean, I like, you can't see it, but like, I'm looking at this face through I've been the, looking at him for two days. Right. Yep. <laughs> so I know a lot about him and it's like very comforting to have him watching us right now for me. Eric is thoughtful. You can tell that he's a man who's thinking in complete paragraphs. He has a trim beard. He's sharply dressed, but not flashy. He makes sure that when he speaks, he has the right words. And he keeps looking over my shoulder as we're talking, and I know what he's looking at. There are these old portraits of older men lining the hallways of the synagogue, and the doors to this room have a little porthole window. And when you're seated just right, exactly where Eric is, the porthole perfectly frames the face of one of those men. And that's who Eric has been looking at while we talk. Tell us about him. His name was Jay Leonard Levy, and he was the rabbi here from 1901 until 1917 when he died. And Rod of Sholem is the oldest Jewish congregation in Pittsburgh. And in those early years, it was an immigrant congregation. It was German immigrants. And actually, Tree of Life broke off from Rodef because when Rodef decided to become more reform, when it liberalized its service, there was a segment of Lithuanians who had been in the congregation because they didn't have anywhere else to go. That was the impetus for them to start their own congregation. And when I talk about a way of seeing the world, there was a joint service on Friday night, Tree of Life and Road of Sholem, because they're both here in this building now. If you don't know the history, it's just a lovely event where two congregations are together. If you do, you see this huge story of a split in 1864 coming all the way back around to a, a coming together in 2018. That's what I mean about a way of seeing the world. Oh, I love that. A way of seeing the world. That is context. It is nuance. It is the twists and turns and interconnectedness from a particular perspective that's understanding the context. You probably know some context for anti-Semitism and hate against Jews. I mean, there's a broad range. There's a lot there. People would say, oh, hmm, it packs with the devil. Oh, they steal and murder Christian children and use their blood in religious ceremonies. Just crazy things like being blamed for the Black Plague or natural disasters. It's just... It's a lot. That's a lot of context. And that's not even all of it. The Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, the Holocaust. 
<sighs> well, the pro... No, I didn't think it was something new, because it wasn't new. So this is Marion Damick. She lives across the street from the Tree of Life Synagogue. You know, I was born in 1925. So Marion was 93 years old when the Tree of Life shooting happened. So think about that, 93. She has a lot of context around this. There have been shootings in schools, there have been shootings in churches, there have been you know. But most of those, well, some of the the church's stuff were because they didn't like blacks or something, people of color, or they didn't like Muslims. But Jews, I I can't um, really see why. Well, I couldn't say that, because I do think. When I was growing up, one thing I really didn't like was Easter. We would be walking. And we would be yelled at that we killed Jesus. And it made a really strong impression on me. I was very, I dislike Easter. It brings back people hate you. Certain things stick in your mind. And uh, that sticks in my mind forever. I mean, every Easter I feel, you know, Somebody's going to be yelling, kill Jesus. So I've always had some feeling that you're not liked for some reason. I mean, why wouldn't she feel that way? Like, who wouldn't feel like they were scared or that everybody hated them? But I mean, with such a long history of persecution and hate against Jews, maybe it shouldn't be surprising that uh, this kind of hate can still exist. And it influences how you feel about other people. Um, I always felt sort of scared of Christians, (laughs) that they would hate, everybody hated me because I was Jewish. So, like Eric says, you can look to history as a way of seeing the world, as a way to bring context to an act of hate. Yeah. And I mean, to understand that context of the Tree of Life shooting, you need to see it as a hate crime, which is what it is. I mean, Jews represent 50% of all religious-based hate crimes in the U.S., and that's twice as much as the next most targeted religion, which is Islam. Okay, that does surprise me. I would have assumed in the U.S. it was Islam, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I don't think a lot of people think about modern anti-Semitism. And you're not the only one. You know, it was surprising to the majority of people we talked to that this kind of hate came to Pittsburgh. Um, and that it came to Squirrel Hill, to this quiet, peaceful little part of the city with an automatic rifle and intent to kill. First we heard the gunshot and we thought, there can't be gunshots around here. Nobody has a gun and it must be something else. We were shocked that this happened in our city. I could see it happening somewhere else, but not in Pittsburgh. Whether or not you expect something like this to happen to you or your community, when it happens, you got to look at it. I just thought, 
you know, this is this is wrong. This is not this is not us. But it made a very big impression on me that that can happen, uh, and it can happen anytime. All right, Marcel, we're going to take a quick break. That okay? Okay. All right. Okay, we are back, uh, back in the studio with my co-bro, Marcel. Yes, I still exist. Yeah. We're talking about Stronger Than Hate. You had a really great analogy that we were talking about before. I want you to just repeat it for our listeners. You mean the house thing? Yeah, the house thing. Yeah, I mean, I was just saying, you know, you can burn down a house in hours or even minutes. It's basically just one step and... Building something is so much more complicated. All these different materials, a layout. Where do outlets go? How many do we need? Are they grounded? Why am I so concerned about electric in this analogy? But <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, what does it take to make sure that you're building a good house? Like, then you got to think about what's comfortable, what's aesthetically pleasing to you. You know, what's safe, what's healthy, um, what looks nice. And so, you know, even though it takes a you know, a couple seconds to burn something down, a lot of things that can be done to build take a long time and takes a lot of collective action. I mean, it could take one guy to burn down a house, but it usually takes um, more than one human being to build a house. And so to extrapolate to the bigger picture, a lot of these things take uh, bigger societal actions that we take on as collectives, and they can take years, decades, more, and they take massive movements and power, social, political power, and a shared understanding that there is a problem because if you don't identify that there's a problem, then, you know, or have a blueprint, you're, you're really not going to build a house. But I mean, we're individuals and we don't always live in that grand, huge societal, massive scale. So in those moments when these kind of events happen and the world closes in, it's hard to see that long game. We want to do something active and we want to do something right now. There's a lot of frantic energy and, and people wanted to, to do something. I know that everybody wants to do something. They want to do it. People ask me like, how can we help actually? What can we do? There was a rabbi in town who gave a sermon on that Saturday after, and it kind of went viral in the Orthodox world. And he was talking about how there is an infinite amount of divine comfort, but there is a finite amount of human receptacles to receive it. 
And over that first month, watching the desire that people had to help, it was very clear to me that, yes, they did want to help, but they also needed to. They needed that comfort that comes from helping. And a lot of them were not able to because there just simply wasn't enough for them individually to do. And I could tell that it was extremely difficult for them. Yeah, that is, that's very difficult. It's legitimately difficult to know what to do when something awful happens and then also to not have something to do. So we just shake our heads, we sigh, we buy a t-shirt. I did that, Marcel, you saw it, bought one for Ralphie. Yeah. We use a hashtag. We told you about the Grove City Company that's been printing t-shirts for the Jewish Community Center, those shirts showing the Star of David, the two hypocycloids, the phrase, stronger than hate. 19.99 online with free shipping. There are men's, women's, and kids' sizes available, and the best part is the proceeds from the shirt go to the Tree of Life Synagogue. A lot of people are trying to find a way that they can give back, that they can help these people in need. And then, I mean, we share that hashtag. We echo it when people say it. It just becomes true. We see it on social media. Stronger than hate. We shop at stores that have that poster in the window. I am really glad that the like all the businesses in Pittsburgh and Squirrel Hill have these signs because it, you know, helps people not forget, like a reminder to be thankful, kind of, and like also aware. We put those signs on our lawns. We stop by the memorials. We send a card with our thoughts and prayers. Monday morning, it set up these temporary uh, memorials for each of the individuals that passed away and dozens and dozens and dozens of flowers and just little notes that people put over there saying, we're with you and this person from Brooklyn, this person from California. It was just really nice to see and just tons and tons of people that were paying tribute and walking by and, you know, just, it's like you're by yourself, but there's tons of people around. We go to rallies and vigils and services. Three, four, five thousand people pour into the streets. You know, not just that there's a memorial, not just that people come and leave flowers. Like, all of us were there. We're having funerals every day of the week. There were thousands of people lined up to attend this individual's funeral, each of them, each of the 11. They also had here the Sunday night after the slaughter at Soldiers uh, and Sailors Building. It not only was that filled with people, there were people outside, another thousand, that wanted to get in and couldn't get in. We attend sports games for teams who incorporate it into their logo and wear a special uniform on a special day. My son went to the hockey game that Tuesday night, and all the roads were closed. And he actually, our rabbi took him to the hockey game, the Penguins game, for his bar mitzvah as a gift with his wife and son. And he must have been on the jumbotron two, three times. Because what better than when you're when you're saying stronger than hate, and it's your first game after the tragedy, and it's a home game, and you got a kid with a black and gold kippa on who's sitting next to his rabbi? How? How doesn't get better than that? Keep putting him up on the jumbotron. So we get it. Like we know that 
that's how everybody wants to give. And it's nice. It's nice and it feels like something. It does make it feel tangible because we all want to do something. A big thing is to raise money. It's always something that that gets organized pretty quickly. After Tree of Life, one of the biggest examples of doing something came from the Muslim community in Pittsburgh. And uh, immediately people were asking, can we give money? Can we show up somewhere? So the first thing we did is we showed up uh, to the location and, and just tried to see, like, you know, is there anything, any support we could provide just to physically be there? You know, it's like, what else do you do in that situation? It's just hard. Do you need us to stand outside your buildings? Do you need, what do you need? We'll, we'll do anything that you want us to do. I thought, wow, like, this is amazing. Like, I've never stood up in front of a group of people and said, what do you need? What can I do for you? Um, and he's Muslim, right? And so the the assumption is that Muslims and Jews don't get along. And then we thought just being there um, might be a, a sign of support that they might appreciate as a community. So we talked with Wasi Mohammed, who is the executive director of the Islamic Center of Pittsburgh, and that is a community who started a huge wave of giving. Um, But then on the way back, we're like, all right, well, that's not enough. The first thing I thought about, unfortunately, we've had similar situations in in our community's history and things that happen. And one of the worst things that happens, especially the Jewish tradition, like the Muslim tradition, we bury very quickly. And then that's a lot of money to pay immediately. And we were like, well, we can't imagine this tragedy, let alone them now getting stuck with like a $10,000 bill uh, or whatever, however greater it is than that. And overall, I think Muslims across the country, possibly even the world, ended up raising over $200,000 to cover funerals for the victims at Tree of Life. So we immediately wanted to cover enough money to cover all the funeral costs and all the burial costs and any medical costs. So grieving could be the focus, not trying to get money together from a source. So we do all this and we try to feel like we're participating. We try to feel like we are stronger than hate. People are knitting Jewish stars. They're hanging all over. I don't know if you've seen them. Um, there are these rocks. I think the eighth grade girls in our school painted these rocks and they're putting them all around the community for like people to find and they have like a quote or a nice saying on it. It's really nice and I, because I think some people want to keep it alive for the sake of those who died. Like to say, we're not just, yes, we're moving on, but we're not forgetting. It's, it impacted us and this is how it impacted us. Yeah, I mean, that's real. Like Nora said, she bought a Stronger Than Hate t-shirt while we were in Pittsburgh. Uh, Our team visited the memorials. We saw signs in the windows and on people's lawns that says stronger than hate. Um, And we saw the tone that it said. One of the things that's helpful is for for all of us to keep hearing, but but really love is stronger than that. And we just have to build that up. And so it's more so showing up as part of it. But part of it is really getting to know who our neighbors are and and working on that because just to make it obvious and clear that, I mean, right after it happened, the mayor said hate is not welcome here. So hate, hate speech is not welcome in this city. And that's like, we just need to really make that clear. So if you're doing that, you're an outcast, right? We don't, we're, that, we're not tolerating that. We're not, there's no place for you here in this. So stop it or 
don't know, go live in the woods somewhere. That was Rabbi Henry, and what she's saying is that these events, these things, they do help bring people together and create a sense of community. It just it feels, I definitely still feel taken care of, and that people are reaching out, and that is very comforting. So that's what, I guess that's, that's what I felt, is that I don't feel alone. This is all important and true, but there's more context. There's another way of seeing the world, not just what has happened to you or for you, but what has happened to other people and what has not happened for other people. I don't know if you saw, but the police in zone four, which is our zone in the zone right next to Tree of Life, have a new decal on their cars that have the symbol, Stronger Than Hate. The police have it on their cars. A Jewish star on the police cars in Squirrel Hill. You know, the police have been amazing, but the police are, they were amazing to us, whereas up until this point, I've been sort of, hmm, about police because I know what else they're doing, right? And so I've had to like try to reconcile, well, now what do I think about police? I don't want to all of a sudden... Vicky, the police have a Yay, star of David on their cars. Exactly. That, like, would they put a Black Lives Matter sticker exactly. on their car? Exactly, exactly. Like, I don't want to be like that. Marcel, uh, tell me about Hot Dog Joe. Uh, Hot Dog Joe. We had went out into Pittsburgh to talk to some people in other parts of the city about the whole concept of Stronger Than Hate. And we went to, Hannah and I ended up going to Carnegie Mellon uh, University campus off of Forbes. And towards the end of our sort of round of the campus, we saw a man standing by a hot dog stand and we figured why don't we ask him because if he's selling hot dogs he probably uh, talks to a lot of people maybe knows the area and so we simply asked hot dog joe if he thought um, he told us his name was joe that's why we call him hot dog joe and we asked him if he thought pittsburgh was stronger than hate uh first question is do you believe that pittsburgh is stronger than hate yes and why do you think that uh, well, because it's a great city, a great community, uh, I don't think we see uh, any colors, any racism. In my opinion, I'm a Pittsburgher all my life, and uh, it was tragic about what happened. I mean, you didn't even bring up race to Hot Dog Joe. No. I didn't say anything about race. <laughs> um, but... He said something about race to me. I mean, we're talking about context. We're talking about this whole a way of seeing the world and how context plays a huge role in that. And so we asked a lot of people if they thought Pittsburgh was stronger than hate. What did they say? Well, you know, kind of like how when we ask people um, how they're doing and they just say fine, uh, most people had a pretty consistent response to the question. I definitely think Pittsburgh is stronger than hate. I, I think it's, it is a uh, small, big city. Um, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh really cares about its people, it, each other. 
Uh, definitely. I definitely do feel a more uh, communal sense uh, of uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, social bonding uh, here in Pittsburgh than I do back home. It's, it's a very open, friendly community. I think people are very courteous and um, helpful. I mean, I would say absolutely yes. Um, you know, I've seen, eight, even in my short time here, um, I, I would say I've seen a lot of kind of community togetherness and a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of strength in, in the communities. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's appealing. A slogan is very appealing. One, it's catchy. Two, I mean, who wouldn't want to live in a city that was like 100% certifiably stronger than hate? Right. Like, who wouldn't want to live in that world? I know I would. Shit. It sounds like a great, it sounds like a, a gr- like a Disney Channel movie and shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like I'm in high school musical or something. But at the end of the day, you know, reality is always different than what we project with our minds about, you know, what we believe based on our own subjective experience, you know. And then even based on our own objective experience, because we might go through things daily um, that other people don't go through and vice versa. And so then we're just working based on that information. So I'm sure that feeling like something is 100 percent stronger than hate or a place is 100 percent stronger than hate is probably easier in a place with, you know, higher average income than it is in a place that has a lower average income. Or a place that gets policed differently. It's probably easier to believe. But uh, there's there's still a bigger context. Yeah. Squirrel Hill isn't just Jewish. And, you know, Pittsburgh isn't just Squirrel Hill either. I mean, Squirrel Hill isn't all of Pittsburgh. It's a part of Pittsburgh. So, I mean, if we're going to talk about Pittsburgh being stronger than hate and if we're going to not isolate things from their larger context, then we need to talk about how hate is dealt with across the city. A lot of the responses were basically, you know, violence doesn't happen in Pittsburgh. These things don't happen in Pittsburgh. Right. But it depends on who's Pittsburgh. And so I'm wondering, do you feel like the city is stronger than hate? Mm, Not really, because things still happen. Okay, like what kind of things? Shooting violence, period, man. Violence? Yeah. Okay. I feel that it's not strong as it needs to be. Not at all. Now, just like a year ago, we had a shooting up in Wilkesburg. Somebody went up there, shot, killed like seven people. Black people, all black people. Some dude went up there, killed everybody. They didn't uh, publicize how the Tree of Life thing was, though. How they're doing that. Like, you ain't even never hear about that, did you? Yeah, somebody went up there, killed everybody outside at a barbecue and all that. But when something happened with the uh, the white community, because Squirrel Hill is like a white community, basically. This is, you're in a black community right now. Black community up the street, people get killed every day, all the time, through the hoods and everything, but nobody say nothing about that. But as soon as some other stuff happened, like with some white people, they don't really care about that. But the white people, they... They love them, so they're going to publicize that all through the net. That's why you're here, because you heard about that. You ain't heard about the other stuff around here. Yeah, I I had not heard of that, the story Ajani told you. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it. 
So, I mean, I looked it up after Ajani told me about it, and I found out that the Wilkinsburg massacre happened on March 9th, 2016. You know, six people were killed that day, and three others were injured in a mass shooting that happened in Wilkinsburg, Pennsylvania, near Pittsburgh. They were having a barbecue in the back. Um, And he was right. I mean, it just wasn't something that was on my radar or on any of our radar. Right. And this is this is a mass shooting that also happened in Pittsburgh. And this isn't something that is easy to quantify. Right. The response to these events is not easy to to quantify. It's just that the difference between them was not just, you know, situational. Um, Tree of Life was a verifiable hate crime. And what happened in Wilkinsburg was not. But there was a difference that was very deeply felt with some of the people that you talked to. Not just Tree of Life to Wilkinsburg, but just in general, all of these things, all of these events, like, have a bigger context to them. And one of the names that kept coming up in the recordings that you have is Antoine Rose. Yeah, uh... Antoine Rose did come up in a bunch of interviews, and I mean, he was killed back in the summer of 2018, a few months before the Tree of Life shooting by Officer Michael Rossfeld, after being suspected of being involved in a drive-by shooting, which he was found not to have been the shooter in. Um, And he was shot in the back while fleeing from the police, and a little over a week ago, Officer Rosfeld was found not guilty of criminal homicide in regards to Antoine Rose's killing. Yeah. And I mean, that kept coming up because, uh, well, Antoine Rose is black. The cop who shot him is white. And he was a kid. He was 17. Yeah. 17. Uh, child. That's, yeah. That's as, that's as old as my oldest child. That's hard to think about. It's very hard to think about. And a lot of people talk to me about Antoine Rose. So what? That, that's, Antoine that, that's Rose ain't he, he ain't going. He can't go nowhere now. He's dead. He can't go to work. He can't do none of that shit no more, bro. He's done. They're worried about the wrong thing. Like people in here, they've been struggling every day, bro. There's massive hoods around here in Pittsburgh that be struggling every day. Like, so it's hard out here, bro. That Antoine Rose thing was big, bro. But this happens all the time. Like, he's not the only person that got killed by a black, by an officer, bro. Like, I have friends that got killed by officers. Like, it happens. But that was just big because, you know, social media is out, phones is out now. It was recorded, so you can't even, can't beat that. But there's shit been happening without no phones, and it just gets swept under the rug all the time. So, yeah, all of this context is not about apples to apples comparisons. It's not as if anybody that you spoke to was like, this community doesn't deserve the response they get. It was just like people raising their hand and being like, also like over here, like, hey. Yeah, it was like, you know, when I asked people about Tree of Life, they said, yeah, we know about that. But there's also this other thing with Antoine Rose um, or Wilkinsburg. It's like, to go back to our house analogy, it's like, okay, if you go to use your kitchen sink and you pull off the faucet handle and all of a sudden water's spraying everywhere, your floor is getting, like, 
flooded. You have this realization like, oh, God, you're just like, oh, geez. Oh, gosh. Okay, I got to call someone. I got to fix this like right away. This is this is such a crazy event. How could this happen? And then you could have in your house a sink that has a leak that you don't even detect, like a slow drip Mm. that maybe you don't hear, maybe you don't see, or maybe you do see, but you sort of just ignore it. You learn to live with it. You're like, well, it's there. What am I going to do? And you just kind of get used to it. Something happens the next day and then the next week, and then it happens every day, bro. So you don't really get a chance to grieve because so much stuff happens just constantly. Like, it's, it's crazy out here, real stuff, bro. So either way, both of those things can do the same damage to your house, the same damage to your water bill. Yeah, I mean, that slow drip is important. You know, in 2018, 71% of all the murders in Pittsburgh with firearms were against black people, and they only make up a quarter of the population of Pittsburgh. And, I mean, if all those things had happened at once, they'd hold vigils and rallies for the black community. But since it's that slow drip that's happening over a long period of time, these gatherings are allowed to be seen as protests instead of rallies. Every every community deserves to, and every, everyone who goes through anything traumatic has to go through their process of processing and healing from that. And so that means that everyone has their moment to sort of say, here, this is the thing that affects my community, and I want everyone to recognize this. Yeah, this is not a competition for which group has it worse. It's this complicated conversation that requires us to give space and compassion to one group while saying that other groups also need space and compassion. People would say that, oh, well, what happens when communities of color, like the person who got killed from our community is African-American, and then a lot of incidents like that happen. And they're like, why don't you care then? You know, like, why does it only matter now? You know, why is there millions being raised now? And how come nobody cares when our children die, when our sons and daughters die and our fathers and mothers die? And that was really difficult to, to navigate. You know, it was difficult to have those conversations. And we are a very diverse community. So we're in the middle of both worlds of like, now we understand that this is the worst incident of violence against the Jewish community in American history. But we must also care about what happens in the rest of the city. We must also care about what happens to everybody else. But we can't forget, we can't just move on. You know, we have to move forward with reflection and change how we care. And um, that was a hard, that was one of the hardest things of all of this. You know, seeing people with real grief about other things that had happened, saying that how come nobody cared as much then? So this was not lost on people we talked with. A lot of the people we talked with realized how much it meant to have other people show up for them and then realized how they might not have been showing up for others. Rabbi Henry was one of those people who had that kind of realization. So I'd say specifically in the African-American community when we've had all kinds of things happen, tragedies, specifically, the most recently, is with Antoine Rose. And there were there were definitely demonstrations, but they were so much smaller. We wrote a sermon about it. I, wrote it, I did write a sermon about it. And um, the idea was, like, why don't we 
um, know anything about this kid? Like, so let me tell you about him. Did you know that he was an honor student? Do you know that he played in the band? Do you know that he volunteered at, at this at this place? Did you know these things about him? But the ch- chances are nobody did know those things about him because he lived in that neighborhood and he's not like us. And And I was just trying to show, to say like, we need to know more about him and we need to know more about each other. So since this has happened and we've gotten such amazing support throughout the city, I'm very aware that the communities responded in a different kind of way. And I'd, I'd like to be part of changing that. People have said, wow, I wish I could say the same thing for my experience. You know, good for you, Jews. But I don't see that happening in my community. And I would have to agree with them and say, now we, we need to fix that. I'm sorry that it took me this long to figure out that we need to fix that. But we definitely do need to fix that. There's more that I can do personally. All right, um, another quick break, BRB. So we're back. Just thinking, what do we do with all this? What can words do? It turns out a lot. Literally, this entire podcast and everything I do is just words and sounds. So I know that they have power. Words are what created this act of terror. Like some mass killers write manifestos to inspire others. Anonymous people on the internet just spew wild conspiracy theories, and those words, they travel. White nationalism is on the rise, and authority is just not confronting this and also actively retweeting all of those words, (coughs) our president. Words have so much power to anger, to radicalize, to kill. And also to heal and to give context, to help you see the world, and to help other people see how you see the world. Sometimes those words are said to us and they open us up in new ways. And sometimes we've known for all of our lives the words that we need. So one of the things I always thought was really beautiful was that there is a acronym at the bottom of almost every Jewish tombstone. And it stands for, may he or she be bound in the bond of life. And it's a lovely phrase. It's a little bit enigmatic. Like what is the bond of life and what does it mean to be bound in it? But just the words are beautiful. And I always thought it was a beautiful thing. And I always thought it was beautiful that it's on all of these, that it was something that the Jewish people as a whole had latched onto as a meaningful phrase. And then I was at that week of funerals and at every single one of the funerals, they say that phrase. And it was like your lungs filling with air for the first time. 
Oh. That's what it is. And I got this vision sitting there of life as this great force that wraps itself around you. It's bigger than the person. It's like a system. And the prayer is that the person is not removed from that system. Words can plug you into that system. Words can reinforce that system. Or they can restructure and improve that system. The thing is, all of this is connected. And acknowledging this is saying yes and. It isn't saying no, but... I hope we continue without some horrible thing happening to cause everybody to realize you've got to get together with people you can't fight individually. You have to really get support. And it's sad that that needs to happen. But maybe that's what human beings are made for. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can't change human beings. Um, that might be. If, unless, you know, somebody's attacked that you know or something like that, you don't feel that you should get together. And actually, people should. Because if we don't, people get more and more isolated. They get more disconnected. They can't imagine one another as people. Like our friend Marion, Marion Damick, the 93-year-old, she summed it up pretty well. They, they're on the internet and they get a confirmation of what they're feeling because that's the only people they want to talk to. And so they act. Some don't, some just like the fun of fun of enticing someone else to act. You know, hey, I got him to do that. You know, like, like a marionette. Maybe we are stronger than hate because the risk is so high of their anger and hate and fear becoming our anger and hate and fear and then becoming our children's anger and hate and fear. Children are going to remember this because you do. You remember, and it influences how you feel about other people. And of everything just cycling back over and over, I wouldn't be surprised if things got worse for the Jews. I would feel awful about it, but I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think many Jews would, actually. I really think they, they know their, we know our history, and you know, that's what happens. Yeah, I mean, like the archivist Eric Liggy says, you can't be separate from the context you live in. Pittsburgh has joined the ranks of these cities that have had this happen. And that is something that I think a lot of people are feeling, that, that we've been brought more intimately into Jewish history than we were before. Any community is part of the history of its international community simply by existing. And whatever happens is part of that story. I mean, what does stronger than hate even mean? There's almost no context for the statement, um, and you have to create the context for it. So you're saying those words from your perspective and from the way that you see the world. I mean, Rabbi Henry, she said, it's only half a sentence. 
which is a really good point. What is stronger than hate? Yeah, it's the danger of it, of it being half of a sentence, is letting ourselves think that that half sentence, that slogan, that hashtag is the work. That's not the work. That hashtag, the slogan, is easy. And love is the work. And I, that might sound a little corny, but stay with me, Marcel. Like, love is work. Like, all kinds of love is hard work, uncomfortable work, and it has to be yeah. more than a slogan and a sticker and a demonstration. It has to go on longer than the typical life cycle of a tragedy hashtag t-shirt, all that stuff. It has to be more. There has to be a thing right. to it. Like, another way to remember the way that love shows up in the world, to bring that into the world ourselves, which is, that's responsibility. I used to say that, I, that anti-Semitism wasn't an issue because I didn't want to be paranoid. And I'd be one of those paranoid people that's always looking over my shoulder, that's always talking about it. And I wasn't paranoid. I'm still not paranoid. But I, I think it would be wrong to not acknowledge that anti-Semitic acts, if not anti-Semitism, are on the rise. It would be that would be ridiculous to not admit that. So what are we going to do to combat that? I mean, we can't do it by ourselves. And I think that's a big thing that this has shown us, that we don't have to do it by ourselves. But that also means we have to stand up against hatred everywhere. Tree of Life happened, and before we could even get there, there was already another shooting that had happened. Yeah, less than two weeks after the shooting at the Tree of Life, there was a mass shooting at a bar in Thousand Oaks, California. And then, I mean, that's not the last one. Yeah, I mean, there's been more mass shootings. A few weeks ago, while we're producing this exact episode, a man killed 50 people in mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand. And you know what happened right after that? Immediately afterwards, the Jewish community in Pittsburgh started raising money for that community. That Muslim community in New Zealand. Just like the Pittsburgh Muslim community had done for them after the shooting, they are rallying in that same way. They're going to mosques in solidarity. Like, that is... The work, that is love. Which, to someone like Wasi Mohammed, who raised money for the Jewish community, that matters. You sound like a person who does believe that love is stronger than hate. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you can tell me what you think it takes to make that possible or make that true. I think... Um uh, it's interesting. I, I think within the tradition, which is what's taught me, you know, um, uh, what Islam teaches us, um, there's, a, there's actually a poem by Rumi uh, said that in, in a discussion with somebody who's talking about the pain and sorrow that they're feeling, that they don't know what to do. You know, like they said, they said, what about my eyes? He said, keep them on the road. What about my passion? Keep it burning. What about my heart? Tell me what you hold inside it. Uh, I said, pain and sorrow. He said, stay with it. That wound is the place where the light enters you. In October of this year, there will be an anniversary of the Tree of Life shooting. And all those news trucks will show up again. There will be another round of interviews, check-ins. How are you? How are you one year later? Stronger Than Hate will be set again. 
And then the next day or so, it'll be gone again, over again, but what will be left? Everyone we talked to, everyone who put up a sign, everyone who wrote a letter, everyone who marched or lit a candle or checked in with their Jewish friends, even though they didn't know what to say, we will all be left. And left with us will be this huge responsibility of love, of being strong, that will still be with us too. So we can make choices and we can use these gestures and these slogans as ways to remember and ways to live. We can use them as a way of seeing the world. As Rumi said, the wound is the place where the light enters you. But for the light to enter, you have to let yourself be wounded by things that haven't hit you. My friend Kylie is one of those Christians who's always saying Christian things. At first, that was kind of a red flag for our friendship, but I got over it. So one of the things she said to me once was something along the lines of that Christianity is at its best when you let your heart be broken by the things that break God's heart. This podcast is getting very religious, but why shouldn't it be if we are talking about all these Abrahamic religions? The point is, whatever you believe or don't, the point is this, our own way of seeing the world. And when I say our, I mean people like me who look like me and live like me. It's often very narrow. The slow drip and the big leak, I mean, it seems like they're happening in someone else's house. No, no, no. That's our house, too. It's our house if the person is Jewish or Black or an immigrant or, or, or it goes on and on. The light, whatever that is, cannot enter if we don't let ourselves be wounded by the things that wound other people. So, are we stronger than hate? I'm Nora McInerney. And I'm Marcel Malikibu. And this has been terrible. Thanks for asking. Big thank you to Marcel Malikibu. I'm going to thank you to your face. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Huge thank you to everyone we spoke with in Pittsburgh. Every conversation we had was really incredible. And we appreciate everyone, even those who are not included in these episodes. We are going to be taking a break for a little bit here. Okay, I think every time we take a break, I make a joke about it being our last show ever. And people don't like that joke, so I won't make it. But this is our last show for a moment or forever. Uh, this is, I'm j- we're going to be back. We are contractually obligated to return to work, but we'll be back in May. And until then, follow us on Instagram. Come see us at a live show. And I don't know what else you'll do to fill your time. Don't listen to any other podcast. You better not. If I see any of you enjoying another show. Thank you to our senior producer, Hans Bujo. He's switching it up today. He's wearing a pink shirt. He only wears blue gingham, and it's pink today. Hannah Meekock-Ross is our project manager. You know what? Everyone's changing it up for spring. Hannah blew out her hair. It's straight today. You should see it. It's sleek. It's beautiful. Um, Anna Weggle, I didn't see her today, but yesterday she wore her hair half up, which was new. And Twyla Dang, um, I mean, honestly, always consistently wearing cool new things. Different glasses every day, different shoes. Twyla's fantastic. So I am Superficial, and I'm Nora McNerney. This has been Terrible Thanks for Asking. We are a production of 
Me Noticing People, and American Public Media. Ooh, Joffrey. Joffrey did our theme music. It's good. Well done, dude.